Please stand with me as we read uh, our passage this morning from John chapter 6. We left the Lord and the apostles last week in the wee hours of the morning on the shores of Capernaum. As the Lord walked on the water, got the ship to the other side, so we'll pick up the text this morning with verse 22 of chapter 6, <clears throat> and over the next two weeks, this week and next, we will be studying this section of Scripture that the theologians like to refer to as the bread of life discourse, Jesus' explanation of the bread of life and the, <clears throat> the feeding of the 5,000. So let's read and give our special attention this morning to the eternal and inerrant Word of God, John chapter 6, beginning <clears throat> with verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. <clears throat> then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again this morning we look at your words. <clears throat> will you please... Give us a glimpse of your heart as well. 
As we know, Lord, there is no guarantee that this will not be the final sermon we hear or that I preach. Will you please comfort and convict our hearts as needed this morning? Amen. You may be seated. One prominent and, and popular commentator says of this passage, John chapter 6, the, the discourse of the bread of life, that to understand it, and I, I tend to agree with him, to understand some of the subtleties, <clears throat> there's four questions that we might ask ourselves related to this text. Question number one, <clears throat> and these questions were designed that a Five-year-old and above could answer that. So if you fit that description, we'll see how we do. Question one, where does our food come from? Now, the natural Sunday school answer, of course, is God and Jesus, and our Sunday school kids could answer that, I'm sure. So maybe a better question is, where do we get our food? Kroger may be an answer. Well, that would have been the correct answer last week, but not this week. H-E-B is probably the correct answer now. But for those in our text today, the answer would have been completely different. The answer would have been our food comes from two places, either the ground that we till or somebody close to us tills or animals that we raise or somebody close to us raises. Question two, what is your staple diet? You think about that, you would think, I don't think we have a staple diet. We eat everything and lots of it all the time. However, the folks in this time would have said our staple diet is our diet, bread, and fish. And we saw that last week, didn't we, with the feeding of the 5,000. But for billions in our world today, it would be rice and probably fish as well. Uh, Question three, why do you work? Why do you work? And the answer would probably be to buy stuff, and that is true, to live, and that's probably true. But did you know that the average American spends a little over 11% of his income on food, sustenance? In this day and age, in first century Palestine, about 85% of what they earned would be to sustain themselves and to live. And the final question What would happen if we suddenly had a massive flood, flood situation, or massive famine in our day, a massive drought? What would happen to our food supply? And I think the answer to that would be, well, prices would probably go temporarily up, and we'd have to find other places to get the food, but we would be okay. We would feel a pinch, but it would... It would be okay. Well, the people in our text that would suffer drought or serious flood would would inevitably result in 
many, many loss of life and starvation and death. So let's keep these things in mind as we go through the text because it does play on the attitudes of those that we will see. We'll see this text unfold three ways this morning according to your outline. First, the following of the bread. We're going to see this group of people following after Jesus, but really after more bread. That'll be in verses 22 through 26. Secondly, we'll see the finding of that bread as Jesus proclaims he is the bread of life in verses 26, 22 through 26. And finally, we are going to see what it's like to truly feast on the bread of life in verses 27 through 34. So let's begin right now uh, for the beginning of our text, the following of Jesus or the following the source of bread, verse 22. On the next day, well, our pattern from John continues, doesn't it, with a short descriptor of exactly where we are at and what is to follow. It's the next day. Remember, this is the day after uh, the, the miracles of the feeding of the 5,000 men, probably closer to 15,000 people with the five loaves and the two fishes that were provided to Jesus. And if we remember, he dismisses, or he puts the, the uh, uh, apostles on the boat to head out to Capernaum. And, and the text said that he made them or compelled them to get in. He dismisses the crowd. He goes up and then... The storms happen, he walks on the water, he gets them there. So, continuing, on the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea and saw that there had been only one boat there, that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place and where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they say to themselves, get in the boats, let's go to Capernaum. They are seeking Jesus. What we have is a makeshift ad hoc flotilla, a flotilla, a parade of boats that are headed out to Capernaum. We're not sure of what their motives, their true motives are at this point. It hasn't been revealed to us. It will be in the text. But the apostles aren't there, Jesus isn't there, and they need to find them so they get in the boats and they head out together to the other side. Think of this as like one of those caravans that you see during playoff time uh, in December where it's, uh, you know, go Eagles, all the, the cars are decorated and they're all off to, you know, go to state or bust. The flotilla is off. They're after the bread. Now, today, it's a short 15-minute drive from the city of Tiberias around to Capernaum. It's about a one-and-a-half or two-hour boat ride, so they take off. The listing says, and I saw it this week, stay in my dream house overlooking the Sea of Galilee in Tiberias. On VRBO, only 165 U.S. a night. And you too can see the launching point 
and see a cross to Capernaum. Only 165 a night reserve now. And that reminds us, doesn't it, that these are real places. They are real people. These were real miracles done by a real person. Uh, by the way, I'm in if we want to go. Uh, it, it would be cool to be preaching this on the beach there, wouldn't it? But back to the text, verse 25, still looking for the bread. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, it's here as over and over and over in the New Testament. We see this meek and mild, this loving and forgiving, this New Testament Savior of sinners. And he is all of those things. But in reality, he is also the holy, omniscient God incarnate of the universe. And he will not be trifled or manipulated. Hey, Rabbi, when did you come here? And it's as if he says, sorry, I'm not interested in small talk. Jesus answers them, verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus starts off with these familiar words, this amen, amen. If you were ever wondering about our practice of saying amen or sometimes lack thereof in the services, both to prayers and to other things during the preaching of sermons, it's here that we get this word amen. It's amen, which simply means truth, truly. Jesus says, truly, truly, and then the motives we were wondering about earlier are established once and for all. He says, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your loaves and were filled. It's right here, and I debated about this for several hours, but it's right here. After the reading of this text, on November 5th, 1530, Martin Luther coined his own term, uh, and he did that quite a bit. He would take compound words and make his own words, and this is one of them. He came up with a compound word in this text to explain these followers who were more interested in their sustenance and what they got out of it than following Christ, he coined the German word Balch Predish, which simply means belly preaching or belly religion. Imagine, if you would, sitting at the parish church in Wittenberg, and we spent many hours there. It's a cold and dark night in November. You make your way to church. And you realize that Pastor Bugenhagen, the kind minister there, is gone. So you get Dr. Luther tonight from the pulpit. He's on John 6, 22 through 40. 
He gets to verse 26, and this is what Dr. Luther says. In this text, we hear Jesus tell the Jews why they are following him. Namely, not because of his miracles and his teaching, but for their sake of their own miserable bellies. This is why I'd rather him preach this than me. Even today, the gospel finds disciples who imagine that his teaching affords them nothing but gratification of the belly. That all the gospel brings are all manner of earthly delights. And that it serves solely for their wants and ease of this temporal life. Luther goes on, Oh, I am growing weary of this preaching and teaching. Boy, it's, it's 493 years old, but still is fresh. He says, The people come, even here, to hear the proclamation of the gospel as though they were sincere disciples, but they dissemble and go home pursuing nothing but other interests to fill their own bellies and indulge their own selfishness. Your comfort, brothers and sisters, Luther said, your comfort and your fill of happiness is not the reason why Christ shed his blood. No, the gospel is a proclamation about the praise and glory and honor of God And it directs you to praise and honor and glorify His Son, Jesus Christ, and to do His bidding. He goes on. Yet people still cling to this illusion regarding the gospel. They argue, well, Christ proclaims liberty in the gospel, doesn't He? Yes, but not to let us quit working to gouge ourselves with food and drink and scrape riches into our own purses just in order to fill our own bellies. But let this be your comfort, Christian, that there is a purpose in all persecutions that our adversaries, the tyrants, would direct against the teaching of the gospel and in in the proclamation to uh, prohibit it. And there is a peace in any worry or discomfort or disappointment in this life, even if we may starve to death. Such difficulties and persecution must and must only be used to increase our delight in the gospel. Now, we have a prince in our land who professes the gospel, but if we had one who opposed and persecuted it, Oh, how much stronger would the love, awe, and longing of true believers to hearken unto the gospel be? Oh, we would be willing then to give two cows each just to get a single pious preacher. That was 1530, 493 years ago. And I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to compare our creature comforts to theirs. Compare our available freedoms still to theirs. Our food, our homes, our transportation, our leisure, our family time and vacations, our access to books, Bibles, and gospel teaching to theirs. Yet, 
we get the smallest amount of discomfort, the smallest amount of mistreatment, the smallest amount of unappreciation, not thanked, not given the courtesies and kindness that we think we deserve, and I'm preaching to the preacher. We murmur and complain. We're depressed. We're unhappy. We are, in short, a mess. Just try to deny me or my children anything we believe we are owed, and you will face the consequences. This is saying, more bread! We know why they were following after the bread. Let's see next this true bread found. And the answer from Jesus is the answer that we desperately need in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Do you see how they answered? They answered the same way we often answer in these turmoil when we think we don't don't have what we deserve or what we want. What must we do? That's exactly how we approach our problems, brothers and sisters. I'm frustrated. I want more of what I deserve. What must I do? We go to our bank accounts. We go to the self-help section. We go to any place that we can get a soft ear and distraction from our pain and frustration. We binge on video games, TV series, and movies. We buy the next shiny toy. We gorge on food and drink. We work ourselves to the point of exhaustion to pay for the food that perishes. What's the answer? The answer is always the same, and you already know it. Yet why is it our last resort so many times? It's just the gospel. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. We already know that. We see it every week. It's the reason John has written this book, isn't it? John 20, 31, that they might know who Jesus is and believe on him to everlasting life, but they still do not get it. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And I just want to say, wow, the previous night, what did you see? What did you eat? They were full with 12 baskets full of fragments from five loaves and two fishes. And they're questioning, what sign do you show us that we may believe? Really? And then they tip their hand, verse 31. And here's where the questions help us hear their hearts even clearer. They say in verse 31, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
They already wanted to make him king after their fill. This is a chance for an 85% pay increase. If they never have to buy food or grow food or worry about food, do it like Moses did. Every day, bring this. We want the belly gospel. But verse 32, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. How many times can he say it over and over? And what they hear, true food as opposed to the manna. And they said to him, yes, that's right. We loved that bread last night, the true bread. And they say, sir, not Lord. They say, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says to them again, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus himself is the bread of life that is found. And oh, these last tragic words to them. They are about to turn away. And we'll see next week by the basketful they turn away. They're missing their chance. Undoubtedly, in hell today, many of them are saying, we were right there. We talked to him. We ate those loaves and fishes. We talked to him. What happened? Why are we here? Verse 36. But I say to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. How many sermons have you heard? How many years have you been in church? Could you see Jesus placard in gospel, placard in the Lord's Supper, and yet not believe? So we have seen the bread followed. We have found the bread of life. Finally, now, let's see what it means to actually eat and feast upon the bread of life. Now, what's left before us, four verses, is perhaps one of the most beautiful explanations in all of the scriptures of what theologians call, and don't be scared of this, theologians would call this the doctrine of concurrence or the primary and secondary causation of salvation. But to normal folks like us, it's best described as a salve that heals the heart of many struggling Christians in this area. You may be struggling with words that you hear all the time in a Sunday school class or from the preached word. Words like 
election, predestination, God's sovereignty. Oh, saints, just circle verses 37 through 40 and then circle 40 about four times. It's Jesus himself that begins this explanation in these last verses in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We start with one group, whoever. Your Bible may say, whosoever. Webster defines this as whatever person, no matter. That fits you. Whatever person, you are a person. You fit. We have one group, two actions, two calls. Come and believe. You, anyone, no matter who, come and believe. And no more spiritual hunger and thirst await. So far, we have two parties involved. We have Jesus, the bread of life, and the whatever person, no matter who, that comes to believe. Jesus calls whoever comes. Now, it's Jesus, in verse 37, who introduces another player on a different level, the Father, to further define whatever person, no matter who, is. Look at verse 37 and 38. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down for heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Now what do we have? One, we have anyone and everyone. Two, uh, we additionally know that no matter uh, who it is that comes, they are saved, and that all are given to Jesus by the Father. So if you come, you have been given by the Father to Jesus. Three, the ones that do come, we know that Jesus will never cast them out. Four, the work of Jesus to save those whoever people is also the will of the Father. And then verse 39 adds the last element. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Repeat, one, everyone and everyone who comes to Jesus believing in him is saved. Two, the ones that come were given to Jesus by the Father. Three, the ones that come to Jesus, will, he will never cast out. Four, the entire process is the will of the Father. And finally, five, not only will Jesus not lose any, he will raise them up on the last day. Oh, pastor, this is too complicated for me. I'm lost. Well, I said circle 40 four times because Jesus summarizes it as perfect as could ever be in verse 40. He says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is God's sovereignty and election and our absolute 
free will in coming. This is why we love Spurgeon. I have to ask you, pastor, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and salvation and our free will? And Spurgeon's answer is, why would I reconcile best friends? They're both true. And they both are. You are free to come to Christ and we beg you to come to Christ. And if you do, the Father has given you to the Son. That's it, that easy. It's not difficult. So theologian, you have your answer too. Your concurrence. Who is the primary cause of salvation? The electing love of the Father. What is the secondary cause of salvation? The call of the gospel answered by the free will of man. Both true. We don't need to understand more. We don't need to try to wrestle with all the philosophical and metaphysical angles that the philosophers will throw at us. They do so at their own peril. We simply need to approach this whole topic just like the Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 and 23, and we see it perfectly. 22. For the Jews demand or require a sign. We just saw that. Show us a sign. The Jews demand a sign. The Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. The bread followed. The bread found and defined and the bread feasted upon. As we get ready to close, Jesus says to us right now, right here, to every ear, to every heart in this room, to anyone watching on live stream or would dare to watch it later, these are the words of Christ. Listen one more time. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If you have never come to him, these words are for you. If we would plead 24 hours in a row for you to come and you would come, we would do it. If we could buy anything, sell anything, advertise anything, do anything to make you believe, I promise you, we would do it. But you know yourself the guilt that you hold in your heart and your soul. You know it better than we do. You bear and you own your own sin and the need of forgiveness. And he says to you, I am the bread of life. Come and believe. Do not be like those in our text today that got right next to him. They saw the signs. They ate the fish and the loaves. You are right here for a reason. You are listening right now for a reason. And that reason is to hear the preaching of the gospel 
clear and concise. Will you come to him and receive the bread of life? Now to the rest of us. The months are hot. There's something in all of us that tends to be weary in well-doing. Your sin and others' sin to you may have you beat down. We need again to hear the words as well. The Christian life is a life of repentance and repentance and repentance and repentance. Your Savior says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Oh, brothers and sisters, too often our eyes are right here. And we walk like this. And occasionally they come, they come right back down and we're focused and we're focused. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Christ. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us, and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. So we share in this bread of life together. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Oh, the scene and the thought of these that were coming after you only for what they could get, only for their own fulfillment and happiness and all of the other reasons. Lord, you gift us daily. We are bombarded by your gifts. Oh, how we live. Oh, what you've done for us. Help us, Heavenly Father, never to seek after the gift but only the giver. Lord Jesus, do your work in our hearts. Convict those today that need conviction. Save those who need saving. Our prayer, Lord, is that in this place, you will be lifted up and glorified. Make it so in Christ's name. We pray together. Amen.